Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Laravel developers of all ages, it's episode number 65 of the De- of Ed Finkler's Development Hell podcast with your special guest host, Chris Harchis. Uh, Ed actually managed to slam out episodes 63 and 64 into the website uh, in short order, and I was very proud of Ed, and as always, the uh, the accompanying graphics were awesome. Yay. So we're so yes, thank you very much, Ed. So I hadn't spoken with Ed yet, well, just before this thing. So Ed, how's it going, man? Right, I'm pretty good. I uh, saw a movie today with the straight wife. Straight out of Compton. Did see Straight Out of Compton with yeah, that was good times. Uh, I enjoyed it. We could talk about that later if we feel yes, the need if to. Yes, if we have enough time, if we get bored of what our guest talks about, I'm sure we can just yeah. Well, so we'll be talking about it, but um. Yeah, no, no, things are going pretty good. Uh, have a day that I didn't have to work at all of this Sunday, which is nice. Why, you normally work on Sundays? It's kind of worked out that way uh, for the past few weekends that we've been at least been doing some work on that. But uh been cu- cutting back, so uh, hopefully things will calm down a little bit. Pours one out for startup life. Startup life. All right, so we have a guest before and a non-PHP guest at that. But before we get into that, uh, let's go over the sponsors, Ed. Well, we have two wonderful sponsors tonight. Uh, The first is Wonder Network, who is a global networking solution provider. Wonder Network operates a global network of servers and leverages them to provide network testing solutions. They're continuously seeking innovative ways of utilizing their network to provide their customers with new and exciting products, such as Wonder Proxy, Where Is It Up, Natural Load Testing, Wonder VPN, Global Pink Statistics, and Where Is It Fast, wondernetwork.com. And uh, we want to congratulate Mr. Reinheimer on securing a new position. He's no longer working at the freshest of books. He's now working with Stripe, and man, I am so glad I did not do Stripe integration for my site yet. Yes, I canceled our integration at GraphStory. We dodged the bullet there, Ed, for the yep. shopping cart for the website. Yeah, I was busy this week uh, switching to a different uh, 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 payment provider. So, uh, so that was that was good. Uh, work that impacted our work uh, at the at the Graph of Stories, and then our other sponsor, who I should mention is Rove. Now, Rove is a hand-picked team of some of the most talented developers in the PHP community. Rove is a full-service development web firm. Web firm? Yeah, I fucked it up already. Offering services such as consulting, training, software development, and more. Now, Rove, as you know, employs some of the most recognized and accomplished experts in the industry, such as Chris Harches. That is correct. That is correct. And they ensure that organizations have access to the talent they need when they need it. Um, And I am told now with 100% less Gary Hawken. Yep, that's right. Gary has moved on to uh, browner pastures. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you guys uh, got rid of all the dead dog smell from the offices. Is that correct? Correct, and we uh, um, we were able to sell the the uh, iPads that the dogs were all using. Uh, oh, that's nice. We were recycling them via Kijiji, so it out oh, that's good. nice. That's nice. Yeah. Now kids can use them; they just get a little bit of that dog yeah, blood well, off. We're going to get some kind of educational credit uh, donation thing for our taxes, so it should be good. Oh well, you know that's what it's really about. It's about the kids and the taxes. That's right. Lowering our ridiculously low tax burden even lower. Mm-hmm. That's good. Good times. Yep. 
Oh, what? There, here's a, there's a phone number right on here. Where's this phone number go? 855-55-ROVE. Uh, Does that go to your home? Sadly, no. I believe that's uh, at our, our uh, command bunker in down in um, the suburbs of Phoenix, Arizona. Mm, in the bunker. Yes. Yep. Right. Hitler's bunker. The Evan bunker. Mm, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Yep. Uh, maybe I'll give that a call. Yeah, I don't, I've, I've never called it, so it would be interesting to give it a call and see what happens. Yeah, see what you know. Maybe, maybe find maybe, out. Maybe, maybe find if out we uh, if we get really bored with our guests, we'll we'll call it live on the air and see what it says. Well, no, I think I've got some Skype credit, so I could yeah. use that to uh, all over there. All right, so enough about those sponsors. Thank you to the sponsors. This podcast uh, costs us some money, so it's nice that uh, they're able to help defray some of those costs. Some money. Some money hosting. Uh, our time is not free. Uh, at, like any good uh, capitalist, we actually bill the entity that runs the podcast for our time. It's, it's the only way to be fair. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know I about guess. you, Ed, but I like money. So Yeah, fair enough. So our very, very special and very patient guest is Mr. Derek Bailey. Derek, how are you? Uh, I'm pa- uh, very patient, apparently. And you're almost done your whiskey, right? Yeah, pretty close. It's because like, I'm, I'm on Dark and Stormy number two. Because we, yeah, we wasted I'm a down half hour to a little sliver of Balcones whiskey. Oh, very nice. That's it's mostly backwash by now. Uh, yeah, probably. Okay, fair enough. So, like with most people that end up guests on the show, I have no idea uh, how or when I met Derek. I met him mm-hmm. through Twitter. I know that for sure. Probably yeah. during my brief phase when I considered branching out and learning about testing um, in JavaScript. And when I discovered it was like even crazier than in PHP, I just laughed and went back, ran back to the comforting arms of PHP unit. So laughing is a good response. Let me say that's, that's like willpower to not crawl under the desk and cry. Well, yep. I mean the, I mean, it's a good news, bad news thing, right? It's like mm. the, the bad news is I'm, I'm shoehorned into being an expert on testing in PHP. The good news is that there is so much horrible PHP. I will never be out of a job. So I'm mean, so true. Some, so uh, Derek is a JavaScript Nerd U- user, I think is probably the best way. <laughs> I didn't want to say guru or ninja rock star because that's like so 2014. Um, so totally. Uh, but I do know that uh, Derek is also, I jokingly refer to him as an entrepreneur whiner because, much like me, he is not afraid to complain about his lot in life on Twitter. Um, but he is an entrepreneur and he does consulting work and he runs Watch Me Code, uh, which is a, and this is, I'm actually speaking truthfully, a extremely helpful series of uh, screencasts about JavaScript. The episodes that I have watched, um, I found actually to be very informative, and I'm glad that I took the time to look at them. And also, you do another business which uh, I believe you accidentally revealed uh, is, is not going so well. Um, uh, oh, no, I, I, I very publicly revealed that as, oh well but I'm just, i mean well you reveal it but i just was thinking it you it happened when you weren't expecting it to happen basically oops no no it, oh, it really? this was yeah so i i'm uh signal leaf is dead it's 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 on its last life support system i'm i'm basically turning it off at the yep. end of uh september for the kids and, at home who don't know what it is can you explain what signal leaf is so it was it was uh, an entrepreneurial endeavor of mine for podcast hosting. 
Um, oh, I yeah, don't. Okay. Yeah, it's, there, there's there's a couple of really big name podcast hosts out there that mm-hmm. have the most god awful user interfaces around. Like, it, it looks like engineers were given free reign over the user interface, and they organized these things. The, the UI based on the code abstractions instead of actually based on getting any work done in the, in the application. Mm-hmm. And so I, I built Signalleaf in order to make things simple and easy. And it was, you know, moderately successful. I brought in a, a five or $600 a month for a couple of years. Yep. But um, I, I killed the service. I, I sent out the death of Signalleaf email and tweets uh, a couple of months ago and am in the process of kicking everybody out and forcing them to go use other less usable systems because I don't have time to deal with it anymore. It, it, it became, it came down to do I frantically run around like a chicken with my head cut off wondering where I'm ever going to have the time to do anything and do mm-hmm. everything poorly or right. do I actually sit down and focus on something and do something real and, and actually make watch me code viable. Mm-hmm. So which did you choose? Well, I'm happy to say that I'm killing everything. No, just, okay. so, <laughs> he's finally come to his senses. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so I'm happy. Quitting, I'm moving to the woods. I'm gonna grow mushrooms on the back of rabbits. Okay, yeah, shrooms and yeah. medical marijuana. That's where exactly, you need to be. Derek. Exactly. That is, if you've totally. been doing, if you've been doing your Amy Hoy style product research, yep. you would know. I would Sh- know. shrooms and medical marijuana is where you exactly. Want to be. Mm-hmm. But no, that that's an interesting topic in itself that we should talk about because that's one of the things that I fail at heavily is product research. But yeah, so Signalleaf is is dying. I'm I'm yanking life support out of it so that I can better focus on Watch Me Code and uh, try to make something real out of that while I try to figure out what my life is and the meaning of life for me and why I'm here and. Why is the sky blue and all those good things? Well, this got deep pretty quick. It, um, it did got deep. I mean, probably. it's you know, it's, it's, it's uh, the whiskey talking. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's a good thing. Both of that. Uh, Ed doesn't drink, but this time I decided to drink, and I'm like one and a half pint size dark and stormy is in. So this should actually be really good. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, I've been following you about this stuff, and uh, it's never it's never good to watch someone who you. I don't think vested interest is quite the right name. Mm-hmm. Someone that you want to see succeed and see what they're trying to do not work. And I mean, yeah. like with anything, there are multiple reasons um, why Signal Leaf didn't work. It's it's one of these things where it it uh, you know the way that you describe it, it's uh, your reaction to wanting to build this thing is it's perfectly rational. It's like mm-hmm. the other existing products are crappy and. Um, with just a little minimal amount of effort, you think you could craft a better uh, user experience for people. But mm-hmm. in the end, it just was uh, it's just was a, a product that just wasn't a fit for what you were trying to do and just was never able to get traction. And um, <clears throat> by being bootstrapped, at least it's not like, you know, you took a bunch of VC money and blew it on air on chairs and baseball yeah. tables and stocking up the, uh, the kitchen with Soylent and, and well, uh, I, stuff I'm like sitting that, on so. an air on chair right now. Oh yeah. Well, but, I'm sitting on know. one too, but that's not the point. Uh, yes. it's, you know, it's just, it just didn't work. Um, yeah. So, uh, so what led you to want to do watch me code? I mean, you, I look at it in terms of like, uh, it's something I've dabbled in as well, doing screencasts. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I'm about three quarters of the way I want to be 
in my in my own like in how I approach doing the screencast. I mean, uh, it's a it's a very different beast. I, I mean, I I would like to think I'm very good at delivering talks, but the talks mm-hmm. are a little bit different. They're a little bit more interactive. I can kind yeah. of bob and weave and change. Yeah, I pay attention to the audience, and, yeah. and I can see this is working, this isn't working. Right. Um, screencasts are a little bit different. So, how did you end up? getting like getting watch me code um off the ground so it was uh um the an opportunity to do screencasts for pragmatic programmers um i'd been blogging for years at uh derekbailey.lostechies.com which is now my old blog my current blog is at derekbailey.com but i'd been blogging about backbone js for years and uh, even even now, if anybody is doing any work in Backbone JS, they're they're reading my material because I I just wrote so much material about Backbone and application structure and whatnot back in those days. And along comes uh, a guy that I knew a little bit via Twitter, um, Brian P. Hogan, who is an author at Pragmatic Programmers, and he sends me an email um, says, "Hey." I've been talking with pragmatic programmers guys and they want to get back into screencasts and I tossed out your name as an idea to do some backbone JS stuff because I think your teaching style and your blog is great and you probably could pull this off and let's see if it'll work and so it kind of started there it was it was a pretty awesome opportunity I mean how do you say no to to a, a company like pragmatic programmers reaching out to you and saying come do something for us you know, it's so that, that's um, where it all got started was trying to learn how to do screencasts for this contract for for them to to, be, to do backbone JS stuff for pragmatic programmers. And it, it took, oh man, I think we spent a year working on the series because I kept screwing it up. Like the very first ep- episodes that I recorded, I was still learning a lot about JavaScript at the time, so I kept screwing things up. And then the the guy that was uh, that I was working with, my editor, uh, he he and I were going back and forth talking about ideas, and I kept getting a lot of details wrong in the recording process, like the wrong microphone or the microphone positioned incorrectly so the sound quality was terrible or having my screen resolution set wrong for whatever dumb reason. Just all these things that I kept screwing up. And about six months into this process, uh, he ended up uh, leaving his position with Pragmatic Programmers because he had to focus on other things in his life. And so I kind of had to start over this whole process and it took another six months of figuring things out in order to, to get all of this done and get this, this product released with them. But at the end of it, or, well, I guess really more like three-fourths of the way through it, I kind of sat back and realized, you know, I've got all this equipment that I bought in order to do this. I, I bought a microphone. I bought the software to record and edit. I did all these things to, to make this happen and make this work for pragmatic programmers. Maybe I can do this on my own. Maybe I can record my own screencast and and put it up for sale. And I I remember, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I was sitting down working on some backbone code again. I had written this plugin that was getting kind of out of hand. And I spent about two hours refactoring the code so that it was easier to deal with, easier to work with and extend and sent out a tweet, hey, I just spent two hours refactoring this code to make it a whole lot nicer. 
would anybody be interested in me rolling back those commits and recording these changes as a screencast? Oh. Like, yeah. So <laughs> see, see, let me interrupt here because uh, um, maybe, well, actually, Ed, why don't you say what you want to say? And then I'm going to do a follow up because this is, this is like right in my wheelhouse to mm-hmm. talk about what happened here. That just, ahead, sound, I, I think, uh, I think one of the things is that it does sound really interesting. And also I think it would hurt me to uh, roll back commits, but I guess they're still there. So that's okay. Well, yeah, I, I didn't really roll them back. I kind of just did a, you know, a branch at a different, uh, right. a previous commit point inside of Git, and, and went on from there. Yep. Yeah. So, that was all I was going to say. So enjoy. Okay. That was, it was worth, it was really worth going to me for that. So yes. now we can do so we can do a little bit product dev one on one here now mm-hmm. because this is like a classic thing. So um I've been like most of the stuff that I do uh related to work and and my books and all the other nonsense that I do. I'm very very open mm-hmm. about the process and who has helped me do all this stuff. And so Derek's approach uh is a very it's like a very common one mm-hmm. from tech people where people where People approach it and they say, oh, well, they, they basically just like, they might, you, you know, basically ask the equivalent of like passerbys on the street by right. saying, hey, you know, I've been doing the same. You think anyone would be interested in it? And this is like, I know I keep, t- I talk about Amy all the time because Amy really, really changed how I view these things mm-hmm. and made me understand about like what approaches actually work and what approaches don't. I mean, Amy tweeted something earlier today. Um, which I think is very interesting in that Amy is very transparent about mm. uh, her successes and her failures as well. And she has pointed out that, uh, you know, alumni of, of the 30 by 500 program, which I went through, there are people who are making more money than she is. Mm-hmm. And she's her, you know, her and her husband, Thomas, have a very comfortable, any monetarily wise, very comfortable life from their business, Freckle, which is a right. time tracking software. They're, you know, they just had their first, I think they just said they had their first month of like uh, 50,000. It, it was some pretty significant number, right. uh, like month to month revenue. And so, but Amy's thing has always been that the mistake that people do is they they build something without knowing whether anybody yeah. wants whether anybody wants it right? right that's always amy's big thing amy's big thing is is and i'm not going to give away a bunch of her stuff because you know that's kind of not what we're supposed to do that's kind of the agreement when you go through all these things you just don't spill all her secrets but the, well, the she idea spills is that her own secrets on her blog she, she though, does she but does. she but she keeps a lot of the stuff herself right right yeah but the the big thing is is and I tell people this when they ask me about the things that they're doing. I always want to say to people, you want to know with a hundred percent certainty that there are people waiting to give you money. Yes. Before you devote time to one of these projects. People don't seem to understand about time, mm-hmm. right? They don't understand that that there's a couple like uh immutable truths right the one is that everybody has the same amount of time everybody chooses what they do with their time and the truth is if you want to make money with your time you should only be doing things that make money with your time so for me the idea of i've i'm going to make a bunch of screencasts which is very intensive work it is not easy work (laughs) you're recording over and over again (laughs) um you're editing 
you're rewatching it. You're like, oh, this is terrible. You're, you know, if you're if you're doing it half decently, you're cutting in graphics. You're doing mm-hmm. fades. You're doing all these things, checking the audio, re-recording parts. It's a ton of work. And to me, the idea of you're doing all this work without knowing whether someone is even going to give you a single solitary dollar in return for all this work that you've done is like this is why you know the world is littered the tech world anyway is littered with failed and busted projects and failed companies because people put the ideas above the execution and they put the ideas above whether or not somebody actually wants this thing whether somebody's going to pay the the idea that i think even now it's been proven that you know the number of businesses that survive with nobody paying for the product are I mean, there's what, you can think of a handful maybe that actually survive and then they become dependent on advertising. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows that advertising reduces in effectiveness over time. I'm pretty sure someone, if someone ever does a study of this and and gets enough information, they'll name whatever this, well, just for argument's sake, we'll call it the Harches curve. This thing where you could probably plot the effectiveness of advertising, the return on the investment the advertisers get over time with online stuff. So... And I have spoken with Derek a few times online saying, look, man, like if you want this thing to work, because I, I, I mean, this is, this is your thing. You are, you are doing watch me code and you, I know you also do some consulting work on the side, yeah. but it's like, if you want this thing to be, to pay the bills and to work, it's like, you need to know all these things you are doing. There are people lined up to give you money. To be perfectly honest, my last book that I did, the hack book, I did the book because I wanted to do it, not because I was a hundred percent convinced that I was going to make money. The idea had been bouncing around in my head, and I almost regret doing it because it's not been the success that I wanted it to be. Right. Because the market changed. Right. PHP seven is introducing a lot of the stuff that hack and hhvm have so the book has reduced effectiveness now yeah so that was just a case of luckily for me i picked these projects i call them my century projects because i basically uh, put in about 100 hours of work from start to finish to get these small little books and courses that's kind of my that's my bucket i'm willing to fill up to dump 100 hours into something mm-hmm. and you know the books work okay and they sell and stuff but by keeping them small i'm hoping to like sandbox and isolate the failures the ones that don't work really well at least i didn't spend a bunch of time and it's not like um, i'm gonna be telling my wife yeah we're gonna need to sell a bunch of possessions to make the mortgage payment this month. right so i don't know i know i've gone off on a bit of a tangent but um but i mean i mean i, I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur because i just think that is such a loaded statement and it makes me think about the startup people and hustling to take all take other people's money and spend it before they figure out that your idea is worthless and and just going on from there, right? So yeah. I mean I mean people have labeled me as one of these things and I'm always like, man, do not call me that. I'm a developer that likes money. That's probably the best level, best <laughs> label to put on me. It's like I like getting paid. Yes. I like you know, I, I like having money. I like looking at my bank account and seeing how much I have and know that everything's gonna get paid and my family's all taken care of and I can relax and and do nice things when I want to do nice things. And, and the idea the idea of pouring a bunch of time and energy into something just based on a promise, not even knowing. It's like, I just couldn't, after going through Amy's thing, I just can't do that. I did it with the hack book and sort of regret it. And like going forward is be like, yeah, man, I'm not doing anything unless I know by doing the research whether this is something people actually want. And more importantly, because this is always probably the issue you face 
you faced with Signal Leaf and the issue you faced with Watch Me Code is making sure that the stuff that you're doing is things that people want to pay for. Yeah. Giving shit away only works so much. Um, and the idea of being beholden to somebody else because they've pumped a bunch of money into into my venture is just something I am not interested at all in any way, shape, or form doing. Yeah, same here. I, all right. I'm, Are you done I'm, talking, I'm Dad? Interested. Why don't you get off the couch and get a job, you lazy bum? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> No, no, you're, I, 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 in, in theory, in, in my mind, and logically, I agree with everything you've said 100%. I'm just, I'm apparently too stupid to actually do things the right way. And so I've, I've gone down all of these paths where I've had these ideas that I wanted to run with and I've run with them. And I've had moderate, you know, success with them. I, I've, I've, um, this year, um, uh, you know, January through end of August or, or current halfway through August, I guess, um, I've made approximately $38,000 off of my own products and services. That's not including, you know, consulting work or, or any other, any other things like that. That's, that's just watch me code and a little bit of signal leaf, but primarily watch me code. So it, it and is that's great. Yeah, it's it's great. It's successful. In, in in another life, that would be enough to pay my bills. That would get me, you know, close to sixty thousand a year, and and that would be enough to to be life support for for me and 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 my family. Uh, but but at, at this point, it doesn't pay the bills yet. I, I do spend quite a bit of that money every month in um, editing services. I. I you're dead on when it comes to all of the effort that it takes to to really do a screencast right and make it look professional. And I got so tired of doing all of the editing, the splicing, and everything that I hired an editor. And my editor makes me look like I'm brilliant. I I send him garbage and he sends me back a diamond. Yeah, I've I've contemplated doing that if I if I ever do my research and start doing a screen uh, screencast product. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to. Try and find an editor and then figure out the price points and everything. What do yep. I need to charge? What do I need to pay them? Can I make this work? So, right. yeah, so, so, I'm, so sure we're, I'm sure we're boring Ed to tears, too, because Ed doesn't know anything about money. No, I don't know anything <laughs> about money. You know, I do, do, I do do audio and video editing, by the way. Oh, there you go. Interesting. Yeah, but you're kind of slow. I mean, I want them like within, you know, I don't want to take like six months to get my videos back. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I've been, I've been doing this with Ed long enough to know that uh, there's there's Chris time and there's Ed time and they're they're not linear. Yeah. When people actually expect things from me at a certain time, I get them done. It's but amazing how deadlines work. We'll, we'll see, Ed. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and this is how the last episode of podcast happened, Derek. So I'm glad yeah, you were here for the uh, here for the uh, for the finale. Shut the it down. Of Dev Hell, it's gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It turned into dev heaven now that I don't have to talk to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so where were we? Yeah. So we we're just talking about product dev stuff and I'm sure yeah. that is as bored as hell. So, um, so Ed, actually I'm kind of interested to get your take on this sort of thing. Cause I know you've, you've never been one to really think much about, um, like side gigs beyond like maybe simple consulting and stuff like that. Like, so when you hear Derek and I talk about this stuff, like, like, what do you think about it? Like, what do you think about this idea of the, of the bootstrapped 
uh, bootstrapped business ventures and product research and all that stuff. Like when you hear that stuff, what comes to mind? Like, what are you thinking about? Oh, well, there's a, I've thought a lot about doing stuff like that. Um, I think the issue I usually ran into with it was that, and I think uh, some of this has to do with sort of just the way that my brain works and stuff like that, that I, have I, I generally haven't been able to stay focused enough to feel like I could do a whole business around something like that. And um, see, I'm, no, I'm dumb me, enough to, to think that I can ahead. actually do a business, whether or not the idea is really fully baked or not. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it's not so much the like. I think I think I am intellectually capable of it. I, the issue is, and I, and I think I'm capable of doing a lot of the work and I have certain advantages in that I have experience a little bit outside of some just programming stuff, mm-hmm. but the issue I do, the issues I do have are mainly with things like, okay, am I the kind of person who's going to take three or four nights a week and is disciplined enough to put time every night into working on those kinds of things. And my experience has been that when I've done, um, uh, when I've done more stuff outside of my day job, uh, particularly as my day job sort of became more demanding, that was really, really difficult for me to maintain. Mm -hmm. Um, The closest I ever came to doing that was and it was still something I didn't. There was no, you know, really no money in it. Um, was uh, working on Spaz, a Twitter client uh, that I worked on for several years, and uh, well, I actually did make a little money off of it um, from the uh, WebOS version of that. But it was totally open source, and um, I really, I didn't, I was not attempting to monetize it. Uh, and so as a consequence, uh, you know, I could easily go like two weeks or a month and just not work on it at all if I didn't right. feel like it. And I like that freedom, you know, um, yeah. I like not feeling uh, sort of bound to that. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally and, get that. I, I, I missed an episode of Watch Me Code a couple of weeks ago because I was sick. I mean, I was I was right. literally in bed 24 hours a day for an entire week with this, just feeling like somebody had run me over with a bus. And I got this email from this guy who was basically ripping me up and down for for having missed an episode and and in his mind having focused so much of my time and attention on the marketing and sales of one particular product that he he had no other potential reasoning for me missing an episode other than you know I'm spending all my time marketing that one thing instead of working on the the subscription service that he was paying for and the guy's paying uh, me 14 yeah. bucks a month I mean okay Here's all this angst and anger and, 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 you know, obnoxious email to me from somebody that's giving me $14. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's that kind of, <laughs> that kind of, 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of the other side of it. You get, um, you deal with some, you know, bullshit like that, which super mm-hmm. isn't fun. Um, but you know, I, I've done, I have done. There has been time where I did a fair bit of consulting, like twenty to twenty-five hours a week, thirty hours a week, maybe in addition to having a day job. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that I would get, I was very anxious and I would get, I, 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 I sort of wasn't pleasant to be around and it negatively impacted, uh, my life and my relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I have learned over the years that, that, that I think that that is not what I'm cut out for. What I'm better cut out for is, Stuff that, you know, somebody comes, there's two things I'm good at. Somebody comes to me and says, I have this problem. How do you solve it? And I can help them with that. And I really enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, or if somebody says, I need this and gives me a spec, I can say, I can do that for you. And I let me bang it out because I'm, I'm good at that. And then there's, uh, and I, I, and, but I tend to be the kind of person who's like, yes, I can, you know, set me in a direction and I will do that for you. Um, I'm not great at coming up with my own ideas. So like for me to come up with like, oh, yes, this will be a profitable idea for this. I'm always I just I'm, seem like I'm never good at that. I don't know. But I would be better as a sort of partner for uh, for somebody who was a little bit more on those lines. Like if somebody came to me and said, hey, we've got this, you know, we're, we're going to put this stuff together, but we need somebody to uh, create some content. And I can probably do that because I can do podcasts and, you know, video editing stuff. And I am a halfway decent uh, presenter. So if I felt like I've had enough time, I could probably do it pretty well. Right mm-hmm. now, I don't feel like I have enough time because, you know, my, the, the startup that I work for. Uh, and you know, I'm their first tech employee. So, uh, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of investment in that, mm-hmm. um, that's taking 50 to 60 hours a week. And at that point, then I'm kind of like, I can't, you know, I just, right. I value the relationships I have at home and with people too much. I just can't do it. But for some people that works, it's great. Um, and I'm kind of jealous because there's a lot of things I look at. And I'm like, well, I definitely could do this, 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 and this. I'm, I would be good at that. But um, I, I just, I have to be realistic with myself that I, I tend to, uh, particularly in terms of self-motivation, I'm not real great at that. I tend to be, my, my attention tends to wander and my interests tend to wander. And if I'm not interested in something actively, I generally won't do it. So that kind of limits, you know, like the sustainability of something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about too, Ed, is just really, it's all about um, time management too, right? I mean, that's why, I I mean, this is why I do this idea of the little century project where I'm just going to dump a hundred hours of my time into it. I mean, um, I've spoken about this at length on Twitter as well, and I'm trying to get my um, time management for grumpy programmers talk going at conferences. It's just, I I totally get it. I'm the same way, Ed. Like there's some projects I'm engaged in and some I think about like, man, I don't, I just, I just don't want to do that. Um, And for me, just the motivation was just using my calendar and blocking time out and say, well, you know, 
I'm giving my I'm giving myself two hours on a Tuesday, two hours on a random Tuesday to work on this thing, and I'm, I'll start working on it at whatever time. And when my two hours are up, that's it. I move on to the next thing I was going to do. And um, I found for me when I started doing that technique, um, I actually started getting a lot more stuff done. Believe it or not, and and for me it became I mean you know, it's that old joke like uh, if you ever want to know how to manage your time, ask the busiest people that you know and. I get all the time from people like, oh, you do all sorts of stuff and you get so much stuff done. And I look at it and I think, I think that uh, um, our perspectives must be very different because I really feel like I'm not doing that much. But maybe compared to others, I am. And there's always this weird thing where you looking at yourself. It's not always accurate. And, mm-hmm. and trusting other, people's, uh, other people who are watching you closely um, – Watching you, watching what you're doing closely, but from afar, not right next to you, can often tease out the fact that yeah, you are spending a lot of time doing these things. But I mean, this for me, it's it's it was the idea of the product management stuff, plus getting really disciplined about time management. I mean, I was uh, anytime I miss an appointment, I feel terrible because I like I'm like I'm the guy telling people use your calendar all the time, give yourself reminders so you're set set systems in place so you don't have to remember appointments or things like that. That there's all these tools available to the modern uh, grumpy developer to get them to, to use these things. So the other day I had a streak where I missed like three appointments all because on my stupid calendar thing for some reason the default used to be remind me in two hours. Somehow along the way I had unchecked that and had not noticed. And oh. then when I started getting phone calls from like the dentist saying, uh, you had an appointment 15 minutes ago. And I'm like, what the hell? And I go look at my calendar. Yep, sure enough, there it is. And I have to rush off to do stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, I, I mean, it is good. It is yeah. good Ed, that you've recognized that, you know, there are certain like certain uh, uh, certain events that require specific time commitments. Yeah. Um, you just can't do them. You just can't bring yourself to do like, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, committing several hours after uh, work after your day job to go work on these things. And for me, when I finally figured out that I needed to stop doing that, to stop doing slices of time every single night, two, three hours every night. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, no, that's how you build a thing. You know, you, you do your stuff with it. I mean, I know that the wine guy, Gary Vanerchuk, Vanyachuk, is that mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. You know who he is, Derek? Okay, yeah. so you know about this guy. Yeah, his Gary thing v. was, oh, yeah, Gary V. Oh, you do your thing and you do your job and then you kiss your wife and your kids and you go crank on this other thing. And I remember hearing that and thinking, nope. That's suicidal, mm-hmm. and that's like it's like you're just gonna you're gonna grind yourself into the ground, and and a thing like that is okay when you have a safety net to fall back on. And maybe Gary V um, did or did not have the safety net. Sure sounded to me like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, that if he got if he burned himself out, he could fall back into a pool of family associated money, and it wasn't going to be a big deal. But for other people, I think I think sometimes advocating people to work the way that you work. Uh, when without understanding um, how much the failure costs is uh, is a big problem. So that's why I'm just like trying to slowly get into some of these ideas of trying to teach developers about uh, push-based systems for managing your time. And um, and uh, I mean, like I know Ed and I have talked briefly about certain things and Ed was going to help me with the hack book uh, at one point, but I just felt like I wanted to crank this thing out and yeah. get it done. And, and I was kind of worried that because I, you know, Ed time and Chris time, they sometimes they track parallel, but there are times where I'm like, man, I need this. And um, and at the time when I was doing this, it was kind of clear to me that maybe Ed was not going to be able to go along um, at the pace that I needed to go along. So it was better that I cranked out the book. But I mean, going forward, I mean, maybe if I get the screencasting, I'll get Ed involved. And I trust Ed's editing skills. And I'm pretty sure that if I throw some money at Ed, Ed will actually take it seriously instead of just thinking it's something that he's doing for a buddy. So um, 
It's it, just really it, this stuff. Time, time management is the key. Understanding the limits of what you can do is also huge. Yeah. The one thing I would say is that for me, it's really important that I have a deadline. If I don't have a deadline, I almost never actually, it, it takes me, it's much harder for me to motivate myself to do something. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I have found is, is what you were saying about time management, that I do a lot more of that now just to keep on track of stuff because I'm really, really, I, I have this thing where I get really, really, I feel like I get really overwhelmed with stuff. And I also know that I'll forget about, I'll forget to do things unless, and it used to be I had to do them right away or I would forget. But now what I do is I put them on my calendar and that's like my reminder. Okay, do this thing at this time. And I probably do at least 50% of the things now (laughs) that I'm supposed to. Uh, So, so yeah, those, those things do make a difference. Now I'll shut up and let you guys talk again. I mean, I I mean, I don't know. I mean, Derek can talk about time and stuff. I mean, like just for me, like for me, the big thing was like a year ago when I started the new job, it was going to be like, I, j- I just want to work four days a week mm-hmm. so I can spend, so I can spend the Friday doing all the things I used to do at night, uh, Monday to Thursday. And just being able to just know that if I have some product, you know, side project work that I want to do, um, I can do it on Friday and feel totally guilt free and not feel like I'm right. taking time away from mm-hmm. I'm taking time away from hanging out with my kids and hanging out with my wife and just like if you know like if I want to watch a TV show it's like yeah I know I can just yeah Wednesday night I'm I'm 100% free I don't have baseball I don't have a podcast just not doing not doing my simulation stuff whatever um, I am good to go and I have found that just that switch to a new kind of way of time management uh, you know, even my, uh, you know, my wife has noticed how much less stressed I am about work because I'm not worried about, I'm not feeling totally exhausted crawling into bed at midnight with unfinished work and stuff. It's just like, I just like, I set aside the time, I crank hard for the time that I give myself, and then I just make that cut and go on to the next thing and without feeling bad about stuff not being finished. Right. Because yeah. like Ed talks about those open-ended deadlines. I agree. That is just, you are, you know, that's like two strikes and you've now hit the, to use a nice baseball, and like two strikes and now there's a high foul ball that the catcher's about to settle under and catch for the third strike. It's like, yeah, you you got to set those time limits and set a deadline and say, I need something, anything done by this date. And whatever I have by that date, um, I'm running with. Mm-hmm. And by doing things that way, you quickly discover what you can and can't get done um, in a specific time frame. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of that with Watch Me Code, honestly. I, I have periods of time where I'll be in just madman mode recording episodes like crazy and I'll have six or eight weeks of episodes and they're high quality, super great material, really getting in depth with a topic like uh, RabbitMQ or MongoDB or, or whatever. And then I'll have periods where I am scrambling and panicking and I know I, I've got to get something done. I have an hour between you know 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Monday. I, I, I have to record something. And it's amazing what you can what you can do when you put those kinds of, of time constraints on yourselves. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in a slightly different boat than, than both of you guys because I actually quit my day job about four or five years ago and went entirely into consulting for a long time. But then kind of similar to, to what you're talking about, Chris, um, I, I 
started giving myself time, started making time in my in my uh, weekly routine to to do more than just the consulting side of things. Instead of talking with my employer to say, hey, I don't want to work one day a week or whatever, I started raising my, my hourly rate to the point where I only had to work 20 hours a week in order to pay the bills. And yeah, what, that's a yeah, that's a classic Amy Hoy strategy too. It's yeah. like you don't want to work so much, crank your rates up so that you only get so that way. I mean, the one of the side effects of cranking the rates up too is that you only get serious inquiries. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. You get better clients. And, and, and yep. Yeah. So, so I'm at the point now where I I work you know fifteen to twenty hours a week and that pays the bills and then I'm off doing watch me code and trying to figure out how to refocus. You know the the screencasts and and my blog and everything else down a path that will actually have some some viable fruit at the end, like you've been talking about. That's, that's like my th- my next big step is is figuring out that kind of research. Where do you think that signal leaf would have needed to be to, for uh, you it, to keep moving on it? It needs my time. That's really, truly all that it needed. I, I still mm-hmm. believe that it was a viable business. I, I know that it was because I was, you know, at least mildly profitable. There were problems with it, like real legitimate problems, but none of the problems that I had were insurmountable. They, the, the, what killed Signal Leaf was my inability, which is really my unwillingness to make time for it in order to actually solve the problems in a way that would have been meaningful and would have moved everything forward. So it, it came down to, what do I kill? I need to kill something because I was effectively running three businesses at that point. Mm-hmm. I was doing consulting, doing watch code, and doing signal leaf. And that's just untenable for anyone with three yeah. fledging, fledgling businesses that you're trying to grow. So I, I had to kill something. And a year ago, a year and a half ago, I, I tried to kill Watch Me Code, but my entrepreneurial uh, mastermind group, um, they told me, no, you're not going to kill that one because it's the one that's making you money. And right. so I, I kept it going. And then you know, a couple of months ago, we had the conversation again where, what am I going to kill because I can't keep doing this? And I made the decision to kill Signal Leaf and... You know, I get all these responses from people like, I'm so sorry to hear about Signal Leaf. And I'm like, why are you sorry? I'm so much happier. <laughs> this, this, is, yeah. this was the best decision I have made for myself and my business in a very long time. You know, it's, I mean, it's it, so it, hard to, and I can imagine it was very hard to let go. I mean, oh, God, you know, yeah. It, you it's, pour a non, you pour like a, one of my favorite phrases, you poured a non trivial amount of time and effort yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. It's like a significant amount of time and effort. I, I put thousands of dollars of my own real money into this and countless tens of thousands of dollars of time into this over several years and, and spent, I mean, it, it was, it was more a baby than a business. It was the thing that I loved for a long time and I, I really wanted it to work. But when it came down to it, it was the thing that had to go away in order to, to, to grow business that was more profitable already. You know, it's interesting to just um, go off on a bit of a tangent for years and years. I had an idea, uh, for a business to do something, a game that you could play with mobile devices. But Mm -hmm. it was one of these things where I came up with the idea before the technology was good enough um, 
to make it work. So I can probably just throw this idea out there for free. I had this idea of doing digital digital scavenger hunts where every day you would set up um, a contest and you'd have to have people would have to find like, I don't know, you could say like three or four things. And the idea would be like people would participate in the contest and they would have to find pictures of things and take a picture with the app. And that way it would be, uh, you know, with the phone on your, you know, with the the camera on your phone and the app would get the EXIF information and Mm -hmm. timestamp it. And then you would just figure out a way to give people prizes for winning the contest. And it was just one of these things where it was, it just kept, it was like a little, like a, like a splinter stuck in my mind, slowly driving me mad. It's like my brain wouldn't let go of this. It's like, dude, this could be so awesome and this could work. You can make a bunch of money. And the problem was I looked at it and said, I just, I, this sounds like a lot of fun. I just, I just don't know how I make money and how mm-hmm. I make sure that people aren't cheating and gaming this thing mm-hmm. um, in order to win. So um, uh, do you think, I mean, Ed asked the question earlier, but it's like, you know, you're still sure that Signal Leaf would have been a profitable thing with the attention? I mean, we're talking about, I, if I, we look at it, if we look at it objectively, from my point of view, it's like, this is a really niche thing, um, hosting podcasts, right? So, I, so I'm, I'm confident in saying yes, right. because I see other businesses that are coming in and already profitable in the same space. This is this is not a yes. This is a, a niche business, but it is not so small that there's no money to be made. I mean, Libsyn, the eight thousand pound gorilla in the room, they have fifteen thousand active podcasts. And if you holy fuck, that's a lot. Yeah, if you got table scraps from them, if they dropped, you know, half a percent a month of people that didn't like them and you picked up half a percent of that, I mean, you're growing a couple of podcasts a month. So it's, it's, it's a, it is a viable business, but it is not something that I was able to continue. I'm seeing other people doing it though. And I'm seeing them doing it very well. There's, there's a lot of really good smaller podcast hosts out there that are, are, you know, doing what I wanted to do with signal leaf. And I'm happy to see them out there. All right, Ed, business idea, Dev Hell Podcast Hosting. Let's do this. Well, the I have thought some about, um, you know, somebody's going to steal my idea, but uh, maybe these exist already. I guess they do a little bit, but these podcasting networks. Yeah, totally. That's a, I mean, that's where I think the, the big money is to be made for, for a business is, is podcast networking. Um, and you see that a lot with... Um, I actually, I don't listen to really any or very few technical podcasts, but I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts and there's a bunch of really big networks that just, that put stuff together. Uh, and I guess the, I'm guessing that the idea is that then you can have just a small number of people who actually handle all of the hosting and uploading and mm-hmm. you know processing and stuff like that. And most importantly, ad sales. Yes, that's exactly. the biggest thing. I mean, because that's where all the money comes from, right? Exactly. Um, and and th- but you do also have like Maximum Fun, which they do ad sales uh, for a little bit, but they also do like pledge drives, kind of mm. like PBS. So they're sort of a hybrid thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that stuff could do well. Um, yeah, it's just a matter yeah. of you know figuring 
I guess figuring out and, you know, having like, is there enough, can you get enough quality content? Now I know some places like have done this. Um, there's like five by five. There's a couple other ones I can think of. You've known better than I do, Derek. I was going to mention five by five, but there's also devchat.tv, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. JavaScript jabber and Ruby rogues and the freelancer show and angular, whatever their angular podcast is. There's, there's like five or six podcasts on devchat.tv. It's all Mm -hmm. run by um, Charles Maxwood, who is a part of my entrepreneurial group that we we meet with every Friday. And he's, he's doing some phenomenal stuff. It, Create and, and has created this incredibly profitable podcast network, and he's he's finally in the last few months and, and moving forward, bringing it together into more of a true podcast network at devchat.tv. It used to be all of these five or six different podcasts that had their own separate things going on all the time, and he, he's consolidating it all together, and it's uh-huh. it's it's doing really well. It's, it's pretty amazing to see how well it's doing for him. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that for him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've kicked around that idea, but again, it's one of those things where I'm like, am I the person to do this? Probably not. Like I'm not the person who would lead that and be, you know, I can, so it would be somebody else and I maybe could help, you know, but I, I wouldn't be the, I wouldn't, I'm not as fascinated by the idea that it would keep me, uh, going fully, but, uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that that's, that's there. And, you know, I, I guess a lot of the, like, if I was just looking at PHP right now, I think most of the PHP podcasts are all PHP-ish podcasts, which I guess we fall into, although we talk a bunch about other stuff. Um, all of them are just independent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but... I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the listener amounts and market size look like in comparison. So I don't know. Right. We would the probably biggest, make we're a, the biggest and the baddest. You know, this. yeah, totally. I know that absolutely. I yeah. I know yeah. that if we had like if somebody came along and was like, I will take twenty percent off the top, but I will do like I will get sponsors for you. Mm-hmm. We would make a shit ton more money. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good example of like if I put. Like every once in a while, I kind of get a bug up my ass to do something, but it sort of has to be like I'm I just my interest and motivation wanders. So I'll get my bug up, uh, you know, I'll get interested in working on like, oh, we should really get our sponsor shit in gear and like do X, Y, Z. And I put stuff together and I put up the other page for it and I track stats and I do all this stuff. But then eventually I kind of get tired of it and I'm just not mm-hmm. as interested in it anymore because I think for me, it's kind of like, well, the thought exercises now are gone and I solved that puzzle. So I'm sort of less interested in doing it over and over. But, um, I know that if we just said, we, if somebody just came along and was like, yeah, I'll just take 20% off the top. I, well, let's we do would, it, Ed. Let's, yeah. Tomorrow, let's, let's, let's put a call out on Twitter and say we want someone to help us with this stuff. I'll, get you, this. I'll get you connected to Chuck because there's, there's a good chance that he'd take you guys on board to devchat.tv. Yeah, maybe. Wow. That would be good. I mean, that's, I mean, this, these are, these are how, like, it's kind of interesting that we talk about this stuff just to, again, go off on another little tangent. So I've, I've always talked about whenever I've done like, um, like career building talks yeah. about 
I always say this this idea that uh, it's a kind of a cliche that like luck is the intersection of skill and opportunity, mm-hmm. right? It's like how nobody is inherently lucky and nobody is inherently unlucky and um, random events happen, random good events and random bad events. But you talk about being prepared for things. It's like we talk about this, this, this podcast, very serendipitous <coughs> event, right? And so the, you know, the chat goes to about about marketing and about getting involved in networks. And of course, you know, you mentioned your, your friend Chuck. I just had to go away from it because I had to tell my tell my wife and my oldest to stop thumping around upstairs because I could hear it coming through on the mic. And <laughs> I told them, like, anyway, I had a few choice words for them. And, um, but, you know, so I didn't hear the, the complete thing. And I'm, I'm sure I'll listen to that a little bit later. But, you know, this is, this is just an example of opportunities, right? Oppor- I tell people all the time, opportunities come up all the time to do stuff. And... Uh, hopefully you recognize when they're actually an opportunity. I mean, all my jobs have always been opportunities to do things that I've wanted to do. It's like the jobs are always like a way for me to acquire a new skill set or, mm-hmm. or work with work with a team of a specific size or work with a company of a specific size or or work with a specific um, technology or work in a specific field. You know, yep. I mean, maybe that's the thing we get. We'll get in touch with your with your friend Chuck, and we get hooked up with a network, and there's some sponsorship dollars, uh, which is a minor thing to me. I mean, the money's nice, but but the idea for me, the important thing is like me and Ed. It all started off with. I mean, Derek doesn't know the story, but it all started off where Ed was just like, I want to do a podcast and like, or just talk with somebody about all this stuff. And I barely knew Ed at the time, and I was like. This actually sounds awesome. So I hit up, I hit up uh, Ed. I'm like, yeah, man, let's do this. So we just started talking. Just it started off with us talk with us talking about something we did not like, right. and why we didn't like it. And now, you know, 65 episodes later, now I mean, this is this is what we do. We talk about all sorts of crazy stuff. And um, again, just luck and serendipity and opportunities to do stuff. And I don't. I, I think that both Ed and I are our own profiles both both personally and professionally i know ed doesn't like i mean i have more than enough ego to talk about both me and ed that ed never really has to talk about it too much, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. but i just look at it in terms of it's raised both our profiles up oh, definitely and and given us the ability to do things that we couldn't have done before all the all ed's work with uh with um uh, mental health care stuff mm-hmm. that all started with with ed saying to me I want to talk about this on the podcast and me saying to Ed, are you sure you really want to talk about this? Because there are serious ramifications in our society for, um, Mm -hmm. for openly talking about these things. If you're cool, if you, if you're ready to do it uh, and want to talk about it, I'm a hundred percent behind you. I just want you to acknowledge the risks inherent in doing it. Mm -hmm. So podcast network would be good. Getting someone to track us down sponsors would be even better. Mm, I think that- just again, just one less thing for Ed and I to worry about. I tell people, I set up all these things in my life to, so that I can try to concentrate on the things that actually require a lot of concentration and problem solving. And for me, the idea of having to cold call people to try to drum up sponsorships is not something that I think is, is a, a good use of my time. Right. I think the uh, the thing that might get at least it's a little tough for me is I always worry about taking things that I like doing but I can kind of do when I feel like it and turning them into things that I have to do at certain times. Right. And and that's a thing that uh, I do worry a little bit about. So like if we like we go in and now we have a business partner basically. Well, you know it's not going to work out if we do a thing where it's like eh, we kind of forgot to record something for the past six weeks. 
you know, we just got busy. But, well, but you know, we can do whatever the fuck we feel like right now. You know what I mean? Well, but the key is then, but of course, Ed, like all the things I do in my life, if you have some conditions that you want to be right. applied to it, you just go, yeah, we want to kind of stick to the same irregular schedule that we have. If it co- if it's if it means we don't get as much in advertising dollars, yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah. The, but you're right. The idea of turning something that you like into something that becomes a chore. You know, I always would I would joke about my childhood experiences with my father, where I would joke that my father had this ability to like take something that you enjoyed and turn it into a chore, mm-hmm. and then take something that was a chore into something that you would swear you would never do as long as you were sentient. <laughs> you know, um, so. There, you know, Ed's right. There is a danger. Uh, there is a danger in when doing the thing that you love becomes a thing you have to do. Yeah, no, I, instead right. of just the thing, instead of just the thing you you want to do. I mean, I've, I, I, I mean, Ed and I have experience. talked about trying to. Ed and I have talked about trying to do the podcast on a, like a more regular basis. Yeah. But I think just for, I just think the way that we do it, the way we have been doing it for the past, it's like what coming up on almost. It will be four years at the end of this year, I think, Ed. Yeah, something we like started that. December twenty eleven. The way that we've been doing it, on the schedule that we've been doing it, an episode pops up whenever Ed and I feel like talking about one, right. and that's it. And and I think trying to, I think a lot of these episodes would just be way more forced and not natural and not veering off into cool conversations like this one um, if we felt trapped by a schedule and we would just start. Uh, I mean, even a few episodes, some of them feel a little bit mailed in. I can tell either Ed or I, just listening to it, whether the interest level that Ed and I had in the, that particular episode or that particular topic. So, um, you know, it's. I think it's just better that we do it when it feels right. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm in the same boat. I, I had a job a couple of years ago. I, I did a couple of years of consulting, and then I. I had an opportunity to literally take my dream job, the the job that I had been wanting for a countless number of years with a company that I was madly in love with and a phenomenal team. And I, I spent a year working for this company, but one of my responsibilities in this company was blogging twice a week. And mm. I love blogging. I love writing. I love sharing. I love talking about things that I'm learning. But it became a scheduled, weekly, must-do, have-to-talk-about-these-subjects, and it turned something that I love doing into something that I have to do. And I, I, I got tired of it really fast because it was, it was pushing me down a path that I didn't enjoy anymore because I, had, I didn't have the freedom and control that I wanted in, in writing those blog posts. There were certain, a lot of times I had a lot of freedom in, in the blog posts that I wrote, but there were certain topics that had to be covered at certain times to coincide with marketing and product releases and everything else. And, you know, I could certainly do them and, and I wrote really good blog posts that were really popular, but it, it became a chore instead of something that I truly loved doing. It just became work. Yeah, yeah, man. That's the that's the worst thing when the thing you enjoy doing becomes the thing you have to do. Yeah, and and that's not always a bad thing either. You know, I, I do the same thing with Watch Me Code at times, where Watch Me Code screencasts. It's like uh, I got to record another, uh, and I and I'll go do it, and I'll push myself through it, and I'll I'll do I'll, I'll do what I can to to find an interesting subject, or or I'll, I'll just pick some random thing that had been bugging me for the last few weeks at, in my client work and, and I'll record a 10 or 15 minute screencast on that and just get it done and, and push through. And, you know, you can, you can tell if you look at the, the screencast episode list on the site, you can see 
hey, there's this random thing right in the middle of this otherwise series. You know, what was that about? And it's because I, I didn't have time or I, I didn't have the motivation, but I forced myself to get it done anyways. And other than this, you know, a couple of weeks ago being sick all week and, and literally not being able to get out of bed, I, I, I haven't missed an episode this year. And that's pretty, pretty stellar considering how difficult it is to produce content every week. No, it's working for me, you know, I've I've made between my books and my screencasts and, and, you know, all the products and services that I have going and uh, I've made almost $40,000 so far this year on in quote side projects, not, not the stuff that, that pays the bills. I have not made that much, but it's a non. I've made a non-trivial amount of yeah. that stuff. I think I had. I just had to do all my corporate taxes the other day, right. so um, print everything off and hand it off to my accountant. So it should be interesting to find year one of Grumpy Learning Incorporated to see how he did. Yeah, you have to pay, pay the government your sixty percent. Uh, well, no, actually, it's not quite that bad. It's the corporation gets taxed at eighteen, mm-hmm. and I'm in the. F- 42% bracket, I believe, combined federal and provincial taxes. Isn't 18 plus 42, 60? Right, but the, yeah, but the <laughs> idea, yeah, but the idea is that we, the, the accountant works his magic to uh, figure out uh, how to make as much of that income taxed at 18 yeah. as possible. Yeah, so my, my accountant works. is, is amazing. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was the first year that I was using this accountant. Um, she, she called me into her office after she got all my taxes done and sat me down and had this really serious look on her face and, and said, I, well, after we did all this and we did that and we looked at this and, and whatnot, um, I, there's no easy way to say this, but you <laughs> owe $12,000 to the government. And I looked at her with the biggest smile she had ever seen <laughs> because I had saved $20,000 for, for my taxes. And so I'm like, nice. how did you save me that much money? You just gave me an $8,000 refund. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. And she was like freaking out that I had to pay that much money for, for you know however much I had actually earned that year. So I was... So yeah, having having a having those kinds of people in your in your life in your career, you know, an editor for my screencast and an accountant that does miracles and gets me refunds every year, and you know those kinds of of things, like you were saying, uh, Chris, not having to worry about those things, it's an incredibly important part of being productive. Yeah, that's it, man. Shortcut your life and set systems up so you can concentrate on the things that actually are difficult for you to do. Exactly. Yeah, man. So let's see. I know that we have in our notes. Let's see how are we doing for time. So we've been We're recording well for just a little bit hour, more yeah. of an hour. You, you still uh, you still ready to rumble some more, Ed? Yeah, let's do like another ten minutes. All right. So one of the interesting things. So I think. Well, I guess we have to decide. Do we want to talk about straight out of Compton, or do you want to talk PayPal horror stories? That's really. I'd vote for PayPal horror stories. That's probably more yeah. consistent with what with our theme. All right, so yeah. we'll talk about it briefly then. So I'll I'll lead off first. So one of the things uh, you see all the time on Twitter is complaints about PayPal. Now PayPal sounds like. Uh, I mean, on the surface, it looks like they're like a very sketchy pseudo bank, <laughs> right? And so. 
But the thing that's been interesting for me is uh, we were uh, we were taking a look at our our PayPal accounts before um, we started recording to check how long we've been members. And so one of the things I, I mentioned briefly that one of the the key ways to not get screwed over by PayPal is to have had an account with them for you know since very early in their inception. Mm-hmm. And so I have been an account member since what was what was my I think mine was two thousand and one. Right. Um, yeah, I've had, had it longest. I, I I beat you both, but I don't have a business account. So that's yeah, right. I don't so, either. But what, I have a personal account. I, I, I do have a personal account, but the interesting thing was just that uh, I'd had an account for with them for so long that I'm like a grandfathered into like right. the high end verified never hold any of your money ever. Yeah. Type of account because all because until I you know until last year when I created Grumpy Learning Incorporated all my book stuff went through my personal PayPal account and I tracked everything coming in and out and paid taxes on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just interesting that despite you know irregular amounts of money uh, trickling into the account, um, never had the fun experience of having my money held or having to talk to them about getting things unlocked right. and all that stuff and so. Um, and then Derek shared a very interesting story before, so I'll let you share it here. Yeah, so you're, first off, I'll say you're right about that constant trickle is the way to prevent problems. It's, it's like having a merchant account where um, <laughs> go find Charles Maxwood and ask him about his merchant account experience recently. It's awful. But the, I, I've had my PayPal account open since 2004, and I, I have a constant amount of money flowing through it, coming in and, and going out every month and that's that's a big part of having not having my account frozen or or funds taken away from me but i've had some pretty god awful experiences with them still there's there's been a number of times where uh, somebody would dispute a charge and paypal gives you the the sense that they actually allow you to dispute the dispute, you know, to, to provide evidence of, of the, the charge being valid and the product or service being delivered, etc. But in reality, PayPal doesn't give a shit about you as a seller. They, they literally do not give a shit about you as a seller. They will, they will take the purchaser's word for, for anything every single time. It does not matter how much evidence you provide. You, you I mean, I, I showed them receipts. I showed them um, uh, the subscription that the person had and how long it had been alive and the, the usage of the system that, that, that they had in, in, in my records. And PayPal was like, nope, this person dis- the, disputed the charge. So we're taking all that money back away from them. But the, the worst of it, though, the, the biggest complaint that I have with PayPal, that, I mean, the, the disputed charge thing has only happened to me a couple of times. And usually I'm just like, screw it, accept the dispute, be done with it because I don't want to deal with you, PayPal. And so, the, the, but the worst of, of my experiences with PayPal is on a monthly basis, I have somebody get their Watch Me Code subscription canceled because PayPal decided to not process the charge. Not that the person canceled their account, not that my system, my subscription service screwed something up. PayPal just will send me an email, email. We didn't process this one. Why? Oh, well, I don't know. It just didn't process. Seriously? It's, 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 so it's, it's this ongoing 
battle with PayPal that, that I have where I'll get an email a couple of times a month invariably from a customer, a, a subscriber on Watch Me Code from back when I used to allow PayPal for the subscription service. <laughs> um, and, and, and they will say, hey, I didn't cancel my account. Why did it get canceled? Sorry. I mean, I, literally all I have is an email that says PayPal didn't charge your card or didn't didn't process the charge they will not tell me anything else they'll tell me that they didn't process the charge and if my system sees that paypal didn't process the charge then the account gets canceled so i stopped i, I don't allow paypal for subscription service anymore what, what are, what uh, are well, you I'll using do uh stripe and stripe is phenomenal i freaking love stripe you know, in, in, in spite of whoever it was you were talking about earlier <laughs> having gone over to Stripe. Friend of the show, uh, friend of the show, Paul. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh, but no, I, I love Stripe. They they make subscription services just ridiculously easy, and and I've I've been a fan of them for a long time. I still allow one time purchases through PayPal because you know eighty ninety percent of the time that goes through just fine. Every now and then I'll have a problem, but my one time purchases are not small change purchases if you get a subscription to, to watch me code you're paying 14 bucks a month you know that's that's small peanuts um but if you go through and do a one-time purchase on on something that i'm selling it's probably going to be one of my larger bundles which start at like 65 dollars and go up to 250 dollars so that's that's a little more worth my time and effort to deal with the occasional issue of a one-time purchase that PayPal has. And and there are some websites out there that I've used like um, LeanPub for selling books or GetTPD for uh, selling digital products that will handle all of the PayPal crap oh, for you so you don't so ever have to deal that. with it. I, I, I love LeanPub. I've got four books up there now and there's a number of others that I want to write and, and publish. Their lean pub is phenomenal. But yeah, that's 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 my PayPal. I my reason for hating PayPal is is because of the way that their subscription service works. It's for all the problems that everybody talks about with PayPal. If you ever talk to anybody that has dealt with PayPal's subscription service, you will the, the, the rest of those frozen money problems seem like nothing in comparison. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had sort of an interesting experience a little bit with uh, doing the uh, recent fundraiser for open sourcing mental illness stuff in mm. that I, when you do fundraisers now, and particularly if they seem successful, you get spammed a ton. Uh, you get lots and lots of people like trying to talk to you about uh, how to push your s stuff and, and basically tons and tons of like publicity networks and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get tons of spam like that by 90% of the stuff that I, the comments that I got on my Indiegogo campaign were spam. If not, 95. I mean, it was a huge, just, and, and also then I also got direct mails from people who probably, mm -hmm. you know, because my email address is on my website. So not that hard to go from the Indiegogo campaign to my website to find the, you know, so yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing I got was pretty certain that I got hit up by a, 
scamming company that did a really, really good job of it. They, I got an, a voicemail from this, uh, from a number that if you look it up is attached to like PayPal's official offices or something like that. If like, if you look up their business records, mm-hmm. that's the number or something like that. Uh, and it says they're from PayPal and that they need to, they need me to provide because you're, you're doing this, uh, fundraising thing or, you know, donation thing that they need to get some info from you. And it's stuff like that. PayPal's never asked me for, and I've been, you know, had been, had membership since 2000, but this is the first time I've done like a big fundraising campaign through them. I did a smaller one before an Indiegogo. This never happened two years ago. Um, but this one got funded very fast and, da, da, da. you know, it raised three times, two or three times as much money as the last time one. And da, da, da. so I'm not sure if it, we know what triggered this, but so they asked for stuff like, well, you're like social security number, driver's license, stuff like that. I mean, stuff that I'm like, this sounds kind of fishy, but I'll go look it up. And, oh, and the other thing was, they say in the voicemail, hey, we're going to follow up with an email to you. And most places, most scamming places do not have this much data. You know, they're not like correlating email and calls and all this junk, mm. right? These folks were. So I get this email. And I'm like, I don't know. This seems kind of legit. So I'm like looking around on the PayPal website. I'm looking for some information like in my account. Like, was it flagged somehow? Things like that. I was kind of concerned about that. Nothing like that on there. Nothing at all. Um, I end up actually calling like PayPal's in, um, like they have a number you can call about stuff like that. And basically they were like, I I don't see anything like that on your account. I don't think that, I think this was probably a scam. You know, I I don't think it was legit. I was like, okay, I'll ignore it. That's fine. But then like a few days later, they call again. And so I actually get the person on the phone uh, or a person on the phone again, same number. And so the caller ID comes up again. It's this number that appears in theory to be PayPal's number, but you can fake caller ID you know, where it appears the call's coming from. That's easy enough to do. And he starts in on the shtick about, like, you need this data and that data. I'm like, why? You've never asked for this before. Why do you need this? You know, and he's kind of like, well, there's this old... Doesn't have a good answer for it. And eventually, I just start kind of laying into him. And and I get another email, like, from, uh, you know, while I'm doing it. It's like, okay, well, I'll send you this email. Da, da, da. I start laying into him. I'm like, you know this is bullshit. You know this is bullshit what you're doing. You're lying to me right now, and you need to find a different line of work because this is ridiculous. You're just trying to rip people off, and you know it, right? And he doesn't try to dispute it, which I guess was cool, okay, right? But, you know, it was just ridiculous. And no, they never contacted me again after that. But it was pretty convincing. Like, they had done pretty good work on it, and... Uh, I suspect that it would have been uh, pretty likely that I would have gotten my stuff stolen from it uh, if I didn't, if I wasn't as hyper like conscious of that kind of thing happening. Like if I was just somebody who was setting up an Indiegogo campaign and wasn't thinking about kind of st- this kind of stuff and wasn't like hyper vigilant to anybody asking me questions like that, you know, um, 
Right. I probably would have just given him the, that data. It's like, I don't know. It, it looks like it's coming from PayPal. Uh, they sent me an email too. It's all seems legit. It seemed as legit as any other PayPal stuff I would have gotten, you know? So that was, it was kind of interesting how that worked out, but I, I don't know, you know, I had, I was worried I was going to get flagged on stuff because of stuff, but no, you know, probably they're used to it, you know, processing through these uh, fundraising companies. Cause it wasn't like I put a donation button on my website, you know, which is a little bit flakier, not flakier, but a little bit sketchier. This was a, you know, this is through this, you know, Indiegogo, a big fundraising company or big fundraising site. And, uh, so I no, had no problem with it. Money transferred fine. I thought maybe I might have an issue with it, but no, none, none, zero problem with it. So it was all fine. Uh, but it was, it was interesting to hear that the, uh, the, to see just how I didn't get any of that when I did it two years ago, didn't get any of that, any of that spam or very little of it. And certainly didn't get really like well-coordinated scammers trying to get through to me. So it was, it's interesting to see how that's taken off and how, how that, uh, how much that's changed big business now. Yeah. And scary business too. I mean, how many people would have easily fallen for that? Yeah, definitely lost a lot of money. Oh yeah. Phishing is a humongous thing. I mean, I know that these days yeah. I see lots of like, you know, emails like Ed's talking about, I, see, I get them every once in a while. Emails, clean, emails come out. There's something up with my, uh, something up with my, my PayPal account. But what I do is I just ignore those. I, I really do. I just ignore them. And then mm-hmm. every once in a while I just log into PayPal and make sure everything's okay. And so if, far, so good. Yeah, yeah right. no, I, I I almost almost universally ignore any email from PayPal, with the exception of the "you've got money" emails that come from actual sales. Everything else, I, I'm like, I it this says from PayPal, I'm gonna delete it. <laughs> Anything that PayPal actually wants to communicate to me will be done via their website. And I'll log into the site. Oh, look, there is they actually did send the email. Okay, here's what it was. Right. Ah, the middlemen of the world are always gonna make their money. Yeah, middle man. Well, this is. Well, I, yeah, I, I think this has been uh, a very, very interesting episode of Dev Hell tonight. I think. Yeah. Compelling. Talk, compelling. Well, just giving people a glimpse into the madness that is uh, the side project world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the life of, of an entrepreneur and developer and all that. It's it's insane sometimes. But it beats working for the man. It's, uh, basically it does. I, I can't do that anymore. Uh, I'm lucky that I'm in a good place uh, with the group with Rove. Rove has hooked me up with a very good client, so um, mm-hmm. the relationship there is very good. And, and um, fortunately for me, because my attention span wanders after a while, sometimes on these long running projects, there is no shortage of kind of interesting things for me to work on, which is good. Right. So, uh, so anything else you want to plug? We'll have links for Watch Me Code. Uh, we'll pour one out for Signal Leaf when it finally bites yep. the dust. Um, if people actually are interested in talking to you about consulting stuff, uh, what's the best way? Uh, especially because people like, because you do, what do you do? You do mostly JavaScript. I assume you're one of those uh, filthy Ruby folks as well. 
Well, no, not not anymore. I, I got out of that dirty line of work a while back. Oh. Uh, but sadly, no, I, I will have to turn anyone down for consulting work at this point. I have one client that takes up my my entire availability, yeah. and and I'm on a, an auto-renewing contract with them every year, which is really nice. Oh, nice. So th- they provide stability to pay my bills, and then I get to do other fun stuff. But if anybody wants to get in touch with me for any other reason, um, DerekBailey.com is the easiest place to find me. Me. You can get links to everything that I do from there, including Twitter and GitHub and my uh, entrepreneurial podcast, uh, which is actually at entreprogrammers.com. Um, that one, that podcast, uh, we do record weekly. It's it's our weekly support group, really, is, mm. is what it is. You know, we, we call it a mastermind group, but honestly, for me, it's a, it's a support group. I should, it's, uh, it's I, what, uh, I should try to force my way onto an episode of that at some time. No, that's actually we'd we'd love to have you on. We we do have guests every now and then, and it's really good to talk about this kind of stuff. And the conversation that we started tonight would be perfect for our show, but about doing research to really find the products and that that will sell. That'd be that's something that I really, really, really need to learn because I've I've been skating by and doing well, but but skating by on the thin ice of doing what I want and getting lucky most of the time with with it working out more often. Often than not, intersection of skill and opportunity, Derek. Just what you just exactly. got. You just got to touch. So anyway, Derek, thanks so much. With one hundred percent less fresh books money. So that's all I got, really. Um. So, uh, so thanks for coming, Derek. So we're going to do our little outro here. So uh, once again, we've reached the end of another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. Um, you can find every single episode we've ever done up on our website at devhell.info. Uh, Ed always comes up with a snappy title. We'll have lots of links, especially this one. We'll have a whole bunch of very interesting links. Ed always comes up with a good graphic. Um, if you listen to us via iTunes, please, please, please rate the podcast. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like so we can at least pretend to care. Um, you can find us on Twitter uh, at dev underscore hell. Follow us to find out uh, information about when new episodes come out. We also have a mailing list. Please, please join the mailing list. There are so few people on there, and we do hand out little coupons and other things to people, so get on that mailing list if you want those things. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Grumpy Programmer, without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Um, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, Oh, yeah, just before we go... Um, Future upcoming uh, appearances, Ed. My next thing is I will be at uh, uh, the um, uh, Pacific Northwest PHP Conference September 10th and 11th, I believe it is. Yes, and I and, will. And you and you will be yeah. there as well, and we will be doing a, a live version of the podcast. Hopefully, we will do at least one more podcast um, before we get to the one, because that's only about a month away. So um, we'll, we probably would like to get one, one more in before we go and record out there. Anything else coming up uh, before that, Ed? Uh, before that, well, I've got um, if I can if I get this out in time, I'm not sure, but Northeast uh, PHP is in right. Boston next weekend. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know that. It's the weekend go. of the fifteenth and sixteenth. Uh, no, this is the fifteenth and sixteenth of August. So oh, I'm, uh, the I'm behind a bit. Twenty twenty second twenty. 20 second, I should 20. know because it was my wedding anniversary on Saturday. Good, I should remember. Good job, uh, buddy. Twenty yeah, twenty second and twenty third of uh, of August. And that's the first time I've been there. Um, I haven't been to Boston in quite a while, so I'm excited about going out to that. Uh, and and then um, and then after that, yeah, is is Pacific Northwest PHP, which I'm super excited about. Uh, what about you, Derek? Any conference or other speaking engagements coming up soon? 
I don't have any planned at the moment. I'm uh, hopefully going to get into November. I've submitted there, but uh, I think moment, I think Ed knows people. He can help you. Yeah, I'm I'm, yeah, a, I'm a pretty big deal there. So a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I spoke there last year as well, and uh, oh, I actually yeah. went on right after Ed's talk last year and and plugged it a number of times. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. So. And yeah, it's like, it's like I, I don't remember that at all. No, I, I, I had forgotten all that, so I'm an asshole. Um, but I, yeah, so I'm hoping to be at November. I love that conference. Um, if anybody happens to be in the Oklahoma area, there's another great conference called Thunder Plains that I'm not going to be at, unfortunately. But I heard good I things. That conference. I've heard good things. Yeah, about it's our boy it's, Vance Lucas. Shout out to yeah, Vance Lucas organizing. It's, that. it's one of my favorite conferences. And they use my, uh, they use the uh, conference uh, paper management thing. Right. Open. Open CFP, baby. We're taking over yeah. the conference biz. One shitty PHP install at a time. Anyway, thanks so much <laughs> for listening, and uh, we'll talk to the rest of you soon. All right. Good night, Internet. Good night, Internet.